In a world that so often feels lonely and divisive, a community of believers with a message of hope can be like an oasis in the desert. This week, join Dr. Brown in the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians and learn five hallmarks of a gospel-centered community. This is Hearing is Believing. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ forms community. Now, when we say that, we mean just that, that the gospel forms community, not the community forms the gospel. Now, there's a lot to unpack when we think about those terms. I don't assume that we are all uh, understanding what those terms mean. So, what does the word gospel mean? And then what does the word community mean? The word gospel literally means good news. Gospel literally means good news. And so, the gospel is the good news of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. The gospel is God's good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. The gospel is a good message of hope, and that good message of hope fills a world void of hope. That hope fills the message, fills the world that's without hope with a message of hope. This gospel message that we have is not merely for transforming attitudes, but it's also for changing actions. Not just for changing attitudes, but also for changing actions. There is not only something to believe in that the gospel provides, but the gospel also provides a way to live. Not just something to believe in, but a way to live. Believing the gospel means believing not only with your heart, but also with your head. Not only with your heart, but also with your head, and not just with your heart and head, but with your hands, with your feet, with your eyes, with your brain, with everything in between. When a comprehensive message like the good news of God's salvation through Christ, when that comprehensive message that's for your attitude as well as your actions, when that begins to take root in an individual, then that gospel message is not just for individuals, but for everyone. Then those individuals get together, united under that same message, and they form community. Now, all of us understand the idea of forming ourselves around an idea. We all understand the thought of forming ourselves around an idea. The founders of our nation, for example, they were seeking a more perfect union based upon liberty. And that more perfect union is in contrast to the ideas of what used to unite the colonials. What used to unite the colonials? Well, they were all united under a single monarch, and of course, by the name of King George III of England. And so they decided to unite themselves instead of, under King George, around a certain ideal, and that ideal was liberty. So we understand what it means as Americans to formulate ourselves around a particular idea. All around the world, people gather according to ideas. There are book clubs that maybe some of you belong to, maybe a social group that you belong to, maybe a certain convention, maybe a community, maybe a fraternity or a sorority. We all understand what it means to involve ourselves or form ourselves around a community, a community of like-minded people who have ideas. And let me say this, as clear as I know how, as an American, as a Christian American, everyone should have the opportunity to form ideas, but not everyone's ideas are equal. That's an important point. 
I believe that everyone should have the opportunity to form ideas. But just because everyone has equal opportunity doesn't mean there's equal results. Equal opportunity or equal opportunity for ideas does not mean that those ideas are all equal. You say, well, how can you say that? Because I'm a gospel preacher. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, we confess that we have the idea of ideas. We have a message that is unprecedented. We have the thought of thoughts. We have the message of messages. It's not like any other message that the world could give. But this message is one that we didn't come up with ourselves. It's a message that we received. And this message, listen, it's the gospel message. And it's not simply a good message. It's the best message there is. It's the best news of all. Jesus has come. He's come on a rescue mission to seek and save lost ones like me, lost ones like you. And that's good news. But remember this, the call of Jesus is not simply to come to Him, but to follow Him as He walks with us. You see, Jesus has come declaring Himself to be the way, the truth, the life. He declared Himself to be that. He says, no one comes unto the Father except through Me. There are no other ways. There's only one way, and His way is the way that leads to glory. His way is the way of salvation. And so a community of Christians then, a community of gospel people, are those who have been affected and are affecting change in the world. They are those who have embarked on the Jesus way together. I'll never forget my missions professor in seminary, Dr. Ant Greenham, what a profound man, saying that a disciple, he defined us a disciple as one who is irrevocably embarked on the Jesus way. One who is irrevocably embarked on the Jesus way. In other words, there's no turning back. We're irrevocably embarked on this one solitary Jesus way. And so, we're this community of Christians. We've all embarked on this Jesus way, and we've done so together. And we travel through this world on the way to glory. And as we travel through this world on the way to glory, we confess the gospel truth. In other words, our very existence is the gospel on display. And I'm talking about what I'm looking at and seeing here today. The very existence of us together is the gospel on display. Have you ever thought about that? That's why you come to church. At least that's why I hope that you come to church. We're gathered together to put the gospel on display. Many of you, all of us, have come broken. All of us have come wounded, perhaps, weak, weary. Some of us may be more excited about today than, than others. Some of you have already fussed at somebody on the way in, maybe. All of us are here together for a single solitary purpose, and that's to know Him and to make Him known. And we do that with every blemish right here, because it's not about how good we might make ourselves look. It's about the God who sees our heart. And let me say this, if you are in Christ then when God looks at you, listen, He doesn't see your warts, your blemishes, your mistakes, and your failures. He sees Jesus.
And that's why we're here today. Not to look at each other's warts and blemishes, but to look at one another as imperfect as we are and say, there's a fellow traveler on the road. There's a fellow follower of Jesus. Maybe that brother beside you needs someone to help him up. Maybe the sister beside you is looking to the left when they should look to the right or straight. That's okay. They're here. We're embarked together on the Jesus way. And that's why we're here today. It's my prayer that when you came today, you didn't come to see others so much as you came to see Jesus in others. You didn't come to put yourself on display so much as you come to put Christ on display in you. That's why we're together, to see Jesus. That's our expectation. We're like the, uh, the, the Greeks who met Philip, and they said, sir, we must see Jesus. That's why we're here, so that we can encounter Jesus. How shallow if we don't center our hopes on Jesus. Why else come unless to meet with Jesus? But oh, how amazing to have the Spirit move in a mighty way when His Word is sung faithfully and the preaching is done beautifully. Greater still is for what we do in here to fill the streets out there. In just a few moments, the doors are going to open and you're going to have the opportunity to put faith on display in the world. So what I want to do today is as we continue our series in Thessalonians, I invite you to take your Bible and join with me in 1 Thessalonians. Go to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, and this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 through 16. But there's a particular tone to this text, a particular tone that displays Paul's affection. So look quickly, for example, at verse 8. Verse 8 says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Now, verse 8 is Christian confession in full bloom. It's really going to be hard for me to think about what comes next because it's really that one verse is Christianity in full bloom. Verse 8 is what Christianity is all about. You say, well, what's Christianity all about? Sharing life together. Sharing life together. So let's do this. Let's read the text. Let's hear the inerrant Word of God wash over us, and we'll pray, and we'll ask God for His aid, and then we'll explain the text. Let's hear the Word of God today, beginning in verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaimed to you the gospel of God, you were witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. 
For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus who are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as also to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Father, we thank you for your word. May it wash over us and transform us. Transform us into the image of the King, Jesus, your Son. We pray these things in the power of the Spirit, in the name of the Son, to your glory, Father. Amen. So look. Look into the text with me today, and what I want to do is I want to help us to understand five hallmarks of a community centered on the gospel. Five hallmarks of a community centered on the gospel. Number one, and these are all going to start with a gospel community. They're all going to start with a gospel community. So number one, a gospel community shares life. A gospel community shares life. Life. Go back to verse 8 and notice the endearing terms Paul lays out in verse 8. And that fits perfectly there with what we saw earlier in verse 7, where it says that Paul was like a, uh, he was gentle among them, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And then look at verse 11. We see more endearing terms. He says that he's like a father with his children. And so all of those images, here's, here's this rugged Apostle Paul. This man who's been beaten for the cause of Jesus, this man who will eventually have his head removed because he said Jesus is Lord and not Caesar, this man who was shipwrecked and survived, bitten by a snake and thrived, this is, not a, uh, this is a man who is rugged. And here he is describing as affectionately as he knows how the way that he acted amongst this church. He said, I was like a father. I was like a mother. The message of Christianity is a message of sharing. The message of Christianity is a message of sharing. Think about the way the Bible begins. The Bible begins with God creating. It begins with God creating. And what does that mean? It means God creating means he has a desire to be known. The first words of the text of Scripture go back to the beginning. And we see in the beginning this God acting, de- acting, declaring himself. God creating means he desired to be known. You say, what's the importance of that? If not for God's self-disclosure, we could not have known him. In other words, if God did not make himself known, if God had not revealed himself, you and I would be, we would never know him. It's impossible for us to know him unless he makes himself known. He is absolutely other than us. There is this infinite divide between who he is and who we are. And in order for us to know him, someone has to penetrate that veil of separation. And it's not us. It's him. If not for him making himself known, we would not have known him. Have you ever considered that aspect of creation? Oftentimes, I think that we miss the beauty of creation because we, in our scientific age, in our uh, age of, of biblical criticism, we have to go and we have to look at the text and we say, well, it was six days of creation. It was 10,000 uh, 10, years equals one day of creation. We miss 
what the creation story is all about because we import all of these things in it. And, you know, that, all that's important to discover the age of the earth and all those kinds of questions. But we don't miss the main thing. That God creating means that He has made space by which He can make Himself known. In the way that He created, He created so that He could be made known. Of course, the definitive way that He has made Himself known is not through creation, but through the agent of creation, the Lord Jesus Christ, who when Jesus comes on the scene, we learn through the incarnation, we learn that He is the eternal Word of the Father. And in these last days, He has been made known to us through the incarnation. And so what does Jesus do? He walks around and He says, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So you have creation as God revealing Himself or making space by which He can be known. And then we have the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas. And what is that? That's how we can know God in a definitive sense. This Jesus came to show us the Father. And remember this, He showed us the Father through a cross. You cannot know God. Imagine what that tells us about the God that we serve. You cannot know God except through a cross. You know what it says? It speaks of His infinite love for you, for me. This desire to be known, not that He needed to be known, not that He was lacking something by not being known. He had the Trinity. He was in perfect harmony with Himself, but He desired to be known. And He included us in that. So that, and the way that He included us in that was through a cross. You cannot know God except through a cross. And then, of course, from the cross we see the empty tomb. And from the empty tomb we see that He ascended with a promise to come again. The Christian life is about sharing. Sharing is essential to the Christian life. So why do we come together and share ourselves together? Because God has shared Himself with us. That's what we do. Go back, for example, uh, to chapter 1 of Thessalonians in verse 5. There's a certain phrase there that gives us clues on what Paul's focus is. Look at chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you. Look at this phrase here, for your sake, for your sake. Paul's shared his life with others for their sake. You say, well, what does, doing, uh, other, uh, what does doing what he did for others look like? Well, look at verse 8. So being affectionate, affectionately desirous of you, we were ready, here's the word, to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Why? Because you became dear to us. There's something sweet about being on a journey together. I have heard so many times in my time as a pastor I've counseled and been with families, walking with them through tragedy, and there's always a constant theme that always unites those moments. Always somewhere, if, it's, if the family is non-believers and it's been tragedy, or they're believers and it's been a tragedy, there's always someone somewhere who says the same thing. I don't know what people would do if they didn't have Jesus. And maybe some of you are feeling the same way. You'd say, 
You think about your life and some of the difficulties and challenges that maybe you have faced or, or are facing or maybe will face, and you say, I don't know how people would get through this without Jesus. And oftentimes, if I'm, if I'm right, oftentimes Jesus reminds you of himself by sending that dear sweet lady that comes and gives you that word of encouragement or maybe a box of biscuits, whatever the case may be. Maybe Jesus comes to you and, and by sending his servant, a, a pastor, or a brother in Christ who comes alongside you and encourages you to go a little further, that things are going to be all right. It's always life together. It's always life together. There's something special about being on the road together, a journey together, and that's what we are. I love Pilgrim's Progress, and after the chapter titled, A Fierce Battle in a Dark Valley, Christian, he he just had finished fighting the enemy, Apollyon, and, and he encounters the next chapter. And Bunyan takes us to the next chapter, and the next chapter is called, A Faithful Friend. And there, Christian, after just defeating Apollyon or battling with Apollyon, then he meets faithful. Christian meets faithful. And Bunyan says, then I saw in my dream that they went on together with brotherly affection for each other and had many pleasant conversations about all the things that had happened to them on their pilgrimage. That's us. We are those people who have decided to follow Jesus. We are irrevocably embarked on the Jesus way. I pray that you have a faithful friend who will stand beside you. It's my prayer that this church will be just a collective community of faithful people who will stand alongside each other and will say this, you know what, burdens are easier when they're shared. Joy is better expressed when it is shared. God has called us to be together, together. And remember this, our sharing is based upon God's sharing. You say, well, how does he share? Again, he gave us the Son. He gave us the treasure of heaven. How did God share? You say, when did he share? When did he share? Are you talking about Christmas? Are you talking about at the incarnation? No, no, no. The storyline of Scripture is all centered on Jesus. You say, what's the Scripture about? It's about Jesus. What's the creation story about? It's about Jesus. Did you realize that? Isn't this the exact way that the Gospel of John, John tells the story? The storyline of Scripture. Think about it. A five-fold movement of creation. John says all things were made by Him. And then we have Revelation. John says that in the beginning was the Word. What do you do with words? I love the way John Calvin in his commentary, uh, very early on in in my ministry, I was looking at trying to figure out how do, you, how do you define what a word is without using the word word. And of course, here comes a little help from a guy, dead guy. A lot of the guys I read are dead, but anyway, some dead guy in Geneva. You know what he translated that word as? In the beginning was the speech. Oh, well, that just makes a lot better sense. I don't have to use the word word to describe what a word is. Speech. So what do you do with speech? You, you communicate. That's what Jesus, who Jesus is. He's the communication of God. This is how you know God. Jesus says, this is how you know God. 
Put your hands in the nail prints. Place your hand in my side. That's how we know who God is. Creation, in the beginning, uh, was all things were made by Him. Revelation, in the beginning was the Word. Incarnation, that's the third movement. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it says, we have seen His glory. And then resurrection, of course, and ascension. So a five-fold work of the Son that tells us how God shared Himself with us. Creation, revelation, resurrection, incarnation, resurrection, and ascension. And you know why God did all that? Just simply for you. He has this drama of redemption, this play that he, that he plays out all for you through history, all for you, all so that you could know God. That's why he did all that he did. God has forever shared himself with us. Bonhoeffer said again, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. That's what Bonhoeffer says Christianity means. Christianity means community through Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus. That's what it means. Because there is no community apart from God. Because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally existing in fellowship in Trinity. And He, in His omnibenevolence, in His amazing love, decided to share Himself with us. And because Christ has shared, we get this opportunity to share life together. Listen to Bonhoeffer again in his book, Life Together. And if you've not read it, I recommend it. Just read the first chapter and see if you have trouble putting it down. Bonhoeffer says this, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. Listen, it is rather a created reality by God in which we may participate in. It's not something we, you know, try to do. It's just basically sliding into the mold that God's already created. And you get to participate in this. This is why, as Bonhoeffer goes on to say, it's not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living amongst other Christians. And if there's one thing that COVID has taught us, I remember back in March, shutting the church down, communicating to the church, we're going to be virtual. Shelter in place. You know what that did for me? And I'm sure it did for you. It created a longing to be together. A longing to come together. Even those sweet loved ones in the church who uh, you may have wished that you didn't see because they always kick you out of their seat or whatever the case may be, you say, you know what, I can't wait to see her or him again. I can't wait. If COVID has taught us anything, if COVID has directed our focus in any capacity, prayerfully, what it's directed our focus towards is how we should not ever take for granted again what it means to come together. And see, look at us here today. We're in masks. We're spread out. Don't you long for the day that we're not in a mask and we're not spread out? 
Some of you are in the warehouse today. I'm so glad that you're there. We can't wait for you to be back here. Some of you are online today. We can't wait for you to be with us. Where does that desire come from? It comes from God. We're not made to be alone. We're made to be together. Paul didn't take this for granted, and he didn't take coming together for granted, and that's why he speaks with these terms. Look at what he says here. He says, he says we're affectionately desirous of you because you had become very dear to us. Is there anyone in this church, and this is just between you and God, that you would say that they have not become very dear to you? And if that's the case, then we're out of joint with what God's picture of life together is. I didn't have to say that you always have to get along. I didn't say that there's not going to be moments of disagreement. But what that means when we say that we're desirous of you is because when I look at you, I have to see what God sees. And you know what God sees when He sees you? Not a bad temper, not a bad day, not a great day. He sees Jesus. Looking past all of those other things those disagreements, and seeing Jesus. What is it that unites us together? It's Jesus. This takes work because it's gospel work. God's love has come to us, and because God's love has come to us, we're loving. Notice how Paul puts things together. He says, ready to share not only the gospel but ourselves. Do you see that? Not only the gospel, but ourselves. And so, which one would you rather have? Would you rather have Paul come over and spend the night and use all your toothpaste and eat all your favorite snacks? Or would you rather him share the gospel with you? We say, Paul, we'd rather keep you at a distance, brother, because you stink. You know, those kind of things. No, no, no. Paul, that's the wrong kind of questions. Paul says, you get me, you get the gospel. You get the gospel, you get me. Because God has shared his life with us. It's irrevocable. That's why the, the whole fact hinders on this, this phrase here in verse 5, or verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 4. Loved by God that he has chosen you. God chose you to make you himself, to make you his own. God chose to make you his own. You didn't have it all figured out. You weren't uh, the most perfect or loving. He simply chose to love you. And so Paul says, hey, I am in Christ. And so there's no dichotomy between sharing the gospel and sharing ourselves. There is an undeniable authenticity to these words because Paul is the gospel on display. That doesn't mean that he's perfect, but it means that he's in Christ. And a gospel community is not a flawless community, but you know what we are? We're a forgiven community. You and I are not flawless. First Baptist Church of Starkville is not flawless. You know who we are? We're simply forgiven. We're forgiven people. You see, number two, a gospel community isn't afraid of work. This gospel mandate 
takes work. It takes work to be affectionately desirous of others. I know. I could list story after story. I know. It takes work. It takes gospel work to be affectionately desirous. It takes gospel work to say that someone is very dear to us. And by the way, don't let me gloss over that fact. They become very dear to us. Maybe not very dear to us now, but God's gospel work is at work in hearts, and they eventually will become very dear, very dear, very dear to you. Look at what happens here in verse 9. He calls his character into account by asking the Thessalonians to remember their time together. He did share his life with them. He got right alongside them, and he worked in their cities, and he looked at their associates and went to their business deals and worked with the same people, and he did all of that for Jesus. And it would have been very easy for Paul to take advantage of his position as a gospel, an apostle, an apostle of the gospel, but instead he left a gospel mark on others. He worked night and day, don't miss this, laboring and toiling so that He didn't want anything to detract from the ministry of gospel proclamation, even if it was uncomfortable, even if it was difficult, even if it meant going across the aisle and having that conversation. Paul did what he did all to focus on the gospel. And notice this, Paul, he wasn't working without purpose. His ministry was a ministry of proclamation for the gospel, focusing on the gospel for others. Let me say this. Focusing on the gospel for others is some of the hardest work that we're going to endeavor in as First Baptist Church of Starkville, Mississippi. Working for others in Jesus' name is going to be some of the most challenging work that we're going to do. But our ministry at First Baptist Starkville, if we're faithful, is a ministry of gospel proclamation. It's not a ministry of our own comfort, but a mission of telling the good news of God's salvation, and that requires work. You may have to sing some songs that you don't particularly care for. You may have to volunteer in that ministry that you don't think you're called to. You may have to show up when we have an event. Thinking of others when we worship, you may have to do something in COVID days, especially like giving up your seat are sitting in the place that you're usually not used to sitting. And we could think about all so many different ways of what this gospel calls us to. And remember, what am I talking about when I say the gospel calls? I'm talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about. This attitude of humility, this attitude that thinks of others, because that's what Jesus did. And this is going to be hard work for us. All of these things and many more are trivial compared to verse 9 as it's laid out. I remember going to the North American Mission Board in Alpharetta when Kevin Ezell first became the president, and I remember he put a big banner on the front door that stretched from this side of the sanctuary to the other, a big banner on the front door and said, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. It's my prayer for First Baptist Church of Starkville that we will have the attitude of whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to know Christ and to make Him known. Whatever it takes for my children and grandchildren to know Christ. Whatever it takes for this community that's lost and dying. Whatever it takes for Mississippi State. Whatever it takes to make Jesus known and to know Him. We're going to do whatever it takes. But be warned. It's hard work.
It's gospel work. And God, I pray that He would give us the strength to work hard and do what it takes, whatever it takes, to know Him and to make Him known. You see, number three, a gospel community is faith on display. A gospel community is faith on display. Notice the phrase in verse 10. Look at what He says, you are witnesses. And in the Greek, that's in the emphatic position. That you is in the emphatic position. In other words, emphatic means emphasize. You are witnesses. Again, there's, there's this specter that's going around uh, the, the, uh, the, the converts of Paul, the ones who have, who have been the beneficiaries of Paul's gospel ministry, and they're saying that guy's a fraud. He's a fake. He's a phony. And he says, you are witnesses. Paul doesn't say something like I do with my children or like my granddaddy used to say with me. Have you ever said this? My nine-year-old, she's fixing to turn 10, or she, yeah, she is fixing to turn 10, and my seven-year-old, he's right behind her. They're, they're getting smart. And so I'll tell them to do something, and uh, they'll say, well, well Daddy, you, you don't do that, something like that. And then I'll, I'll, I'll revert back to something I heard my granddaddy say, well, you don't do as I do, you do as I say. And I'm like, whoa, 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 where did that come from? Where did that come from? But Paul doesn't do that here. Paul doesn't do that. Instead, he was able to do, he was able to say, do as I do and as I say. Look at his resume as he lays it out here in, in verse 10. Look at this. His conduct is holy, righteous, and blameless. And he does that all for Jesus. What a resume. The way we live, listen, is the way we share Jesus with the world. The way you and I live is the way that we share Jesus with the world. No pressure. It was St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Now, how many of you have heard that quote? Probably the most quoted guy from the early church, St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. So for the same ones who've heard that quote, you're probably the same ones who cringe at that quote because it's so overused. You say, wait just a minute. That's not an excuse for not sharing your faith. Preach the gospel at all times and, and, um, and uh, preach the gospel at all times and then uh, use words if necessary. But that's not an excuse to not share your faith. You know how I know that? Because I know, I know the story of St. Francis of Assisi. Francis was a missionary to Muslims during the Crusades. So when so-called Christendom was at war with Islam, Francis was living as a missionary to the Muslims. Francis said, do as I do. Put down your sword and go live beside these people you say are your enemies. I had a seminary professor who used to wonder what would happen if the world pushed the mute button on Christianity. In other words, what would they see? Regardless of what they hear, what would they see? And the question is, would our actions live up to our message? And you and I as Christians, we're very good about being loud, about what we believe, our inalienable rights. I get it. 
And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be active and activists. I'm not saying that. I think it's important for the world to know what we believe. But I just wonder if the world put the mute button on us and they simply watched us, what would they see? Remember Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and the Bible says He opened not His mouth. What He did on the cross spoke louder than any words. And God's going to give you moments to live out your faith. Live out your faith. And when you do, if it's true, it will be holiness, righteousness, and without any blame. This is why, number four, a gospel community encourages accountability. This job is too big for me to live it, to do it. I need you. Notice the beautiful balance of the text. We have holy, righteous, and blameless a balance with what comes next. Like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. God's created community needs all of these measures to ensure that we're organizing ourselves among gospel expression. There's no room among us for anything that is unholy, no room for anything that is unrighteous. There's no room for any blame amongst us. Listen, we need each other, not to blast each other when we fail, but to remind ourselves that when we do fall, that grace is there, grace that's greater than all of our sin. Again, I say we are not a flawless community, but we are a forgiven community. Bonhoeffer, in his life together, he again says, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's Word to him. He needs it again and again. When he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without contradicting the truth. It's antithetical to the gospel. The gospel says, surrender, give yourself to Jesus. Don't, the gospel is not a message that says, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. No, no, it's fallen to the everlasting arms of God. That's why we need each other. Because in our needing one another, we express the gospel. See, this cause is too great for any of us alone. We learn Christ. We are in Christ. We are in community. You see, Christ has brought heaven close to us with a promise that one day heaven is going to be forever. And that's strange in our world today, to go out and, and say heaven is going to be forever. He created a community with the blood of His cross, and He sealed them with the Holy Spirit. We then are these Spirit-filled, last-day people. We're the people purchased by His blood, sealed by His Spirit, on the way to eternity with God. 
And we look about in the roads and the highways as we pass by, and we say, brother, are you broken? Are you weary? Are you sinful? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need hope? Do you need satisfaction? Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Come to Him. Follow Him. Give yourself to Him. He loves you. He has given Himself for you. Come to Him. Notice the phrase in verse 12. This Jesus has called us into His own kingdom of glory. You see, we're pilgrims on the way, but as we're on the way, we are anticipating the return of the King. That's the fifth point for you today. A gospel community anticipates the return of the King. This Jesus who came is the Jesus who is coming again. And listen, we live right now. We live right now in light of what He did then in hopes of what He will do when He comes again. We live right now in light of what He did then with every hope of what He will do when He comes again. We receive the Word of God. Look at the text, and I wish I had time to outline it all in these verses 13 through 16. We receive the Word of God. The Word of God works in our lives. We become imitators of the church of God throughout the ages, and we live out our faith even when it's difficult, and we entrust ourselves to the righteousness of God. That's who we are. Now, some of you, I do have to say this, some of you might read this passage And you say, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. What are we talking about these Jews and killing Jesus and all of that? That's anti-Semitism. And to be honest, this passage has been used by many for anti-Semitism. The same Bonhoeffer that I'm quoting opposed the German church who used passages like this for anti-Semitism. Let me say this. Paul's merely stating the facts. Jesus was crucified at the hands of the Jews. But let me say the other part. While the Jews may have nailed him to the cross, it was my sin and it was your sin that held him there. Jesus bore the wrath of God that was reserved for us. And when he bore the wrath reserved for us, he then saved us. But we need to be clear this morning. One day those who oppose him are going to face the wrath of God forever. John says in John three seventeen, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The kingdom of God coming means salvation, but it also means condemnation. The kingdom of God coming means salvation, but it also means condemnation. This is why Christian in Pilgrim's Progress is leaving the city of destruction. God's coming means salvation, but it also means condemnation. You say, what's the difference between the two? Salvation and condemnation. The Bible puts it in these terms. The difference between the two is belief. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him, that's all you have to do, believe in Him, and you'll not perish, but you'll have eternal life. This is our message as God's gospel community, a message of a kingdom coming, a message of hope for everyone who believes. And the Bible says something provocative, but it's true. It's another John 3.16, but this time it's 1 John 3.16. By this we know love 
that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, that's provocative because the Bible just said this is the way that you know love. You can't know love except through the gospel. You might find an echo of love, but you'll never find the real thing. You can't know love outside the community that God has created. And what ties us together is greater than family, stronger than any other reason to live. What holds us together is the blood of Jesus. We are now children of God by grace through faith. We are now joint heirs with the King of heaven. He has shared Himself with us so that we can live together with this expectation of pure joy. And you might be tempted to search for belonging in other places. But you were created to belong here with us fellow Christians, weary travelers on the way, here with the rest of us on the way to the eternal city of God. You see, the King is there, and one day we're going to be there too. Until then, we come to a setting like we did today to meet together to remind one another that there's a day coming that where He is, there we're going to be also. Father in heaven, it's my prayer that You would remind us of the good that You have brought by creating a community, by giving us a Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by giving us Your Word to remind us of Your truth, to speak truth to give us, Lord, Yourself, and thereby give us life. It's my prayer out there for one who's broken, who's tried to find their satisfaction in so many places, that they would come to Jesus, they would come home to Jesus. It's my prayer, Lord, for those who have been away from our fellowship for some time, It started out as COVID, but now it's really just become an excuse. Lord, if they're listening or if they're not listening right now, I pray the Holy Spirit of God, wherever they are, would prick their heart and give them a longing to be with other believers. Again, we're not a perfect community. We're just forgiven. And we want to remind others of the hope that we have, a hope in you, a hope of traveling and one day seeing you. And while we're traveling, we have you beside us. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the gospel. Thank you for giving us a chance to express that gospel by coming together. And thank you that that coming together is called church. Help us to define it in these terms. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you would like to learn more about how we're taking the gospel from Startville to the ends of the earth, visit www.fbcstartwell.com.